Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This is part two of a three-part message given by Pastor Eric Ludy at the church at Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. It is our hope and prayer that this message would convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we are always happy to provide answers and receive feedback. Simply contact us at info at ellerslie.com or give us a call at 970-686-9022. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy. Session two, what is a rod anyway? Unpacking the idea of canon. Canon authority. There's different terms that I'm going to use in and through this, different concepts that have been used throughout Christian history. Canon authority. Some of you would, I mean, you'd think, oh, that's scriptural authority or biblical authority, which it is. But there's a reason why it has authority that's woven into the idea of canon. Okay, the divine right to rule and control. When something has canon authority or it's canonical is a, is a common term. And even, I mean, I was talking with some software engineer and he says, yeah, the the, the, can, the canonical conclusion on that is this. It's like, well, that's an interesting uh, way to use that. Yeah, you want to know the canonical opinion on life? It's called the Bible. Okay, so you want to know what is true, what is right. God has made it clear. And so canon authority means it has divine right, God right, to rule and control our lives. The canon test. Now, I just walked you through the very first canon test when all the 12 rods were gathered into the tabernacle of witness and overnight it was proven who God had chosen. God selected Aaron. So this is the test to prove who has the authority to govern, who's in control around here. And so there, has been, there have been a lot of canon tests throughout the ages, okay? The way the Bible was put together is on this premise of canon test. Every book in the Bible has been tested, it has to be tested against something. It has to have been proven to be authoritative. And then when we get to Jesus in the New Testament, you need to understand that this wasn't just something where God's like, oh yeah, or Jesus is like, hey guys, I'm okay, okay? Could you please like me? Jesus matched something. He laid down his life next to a measurement. It was a canon test. And before all of Israel, he bore almonds. The canon of scripture, and that's again another common way of us understanding what canon is. It's the 66 books which possess the divine right to rule and control, that which has passed the canon test. So when we say that scripture is canon, we're saying it is passed the canon test. Moses' first five books are considered canon. Most people don't argue that. However, every subsequent book had to be added. So how was it added? A canon. So if we're going to just use the word canon, it actually comes from the word kana, which is really strange. You know what kana even means in the Hebrew? It's the proper, it's, it could also be a proper name, but usually cane or reed or rod, right? Measuring rod. But it's the name of Adam and Eve's firstborn child. Uh, extra weird, isn't it? Their firstborn child, Cain. Uh-huh. Man has his own authority. Man has his own lineage. If we're of the lineage of Adam, we die. And so it's almost like popery, you know, like the Pope. That, that's Cain. It's, it's man's authority, that which is derived out of Adam. And God says, uh, I have my own canon, 
Let's make it clear that Adam doesn't have the authority. God does. It's really amazing. So a canon is a rod of authority. It is a branch fashioned for the purpose of ruling well. Literally, it's a tree that is lopped off a branch from a tree. The scriptures are a tr- is a tree full of branches. You could call it the tree of life or the word of life. It is Jesus. It is his sacrifice. It is his love given. It is the open highway unto the Father through the cross. That's what the scriptures are. So each individual branch forms a dimension of that authority. And so it's a rod of authority, a branch fashioned for the purpose of ruling well, a tree limb cut and carved and utilized for the proper expression of power and control. So, hmm, I need to lead my sheep. So what do I do? I carve a branch and turn it into a rod, a shepherd's rod. I need to lead a people. Well, those people need to know who's holding the scepter. A scepter is a rod. It's a cannon. And so as a result, you shape this cannon. It's a symbol of who holds the power. Who holds the power? Well, who's holding the scepter? And what hand does he hold it in? The right hand. So the rod of authority. It's the fashioned tree branch, and it's four uses throughout the Bible. So in the Bible, the word rod is used four different ways. You'll recognize these. And I could say three different ways, but I broke up two of them just so that you can see the nuance of it. Number one, we have a measuring rod. So all throughout Scripture, and I just gave you a few references, but this, this stuff is actually fairly common throughout Scripture. Have you ever seen where an angel of God comes down with a rod and he's like measuring out the temple? Like, what's he doing? What's he measuring? And then God says to Ezekiel, now take those measurements and show them to the, the people of Israel that they may be convicted of their sin. Now, if someone came to you and said, yeah, the room measures 20 by 20, would you feel convicted? Unless you knew that your measurements didn't match. You see, the measurement of the house of God, what was Ezekiel seeing the measurement of? Perfection. The perfect temple. Remember, Jesus, tear down this temple, and I will rebuild it in three days. But he wasn't talking about an earthly temple built by human hands. He was talking about a temple built by God. It's called him, Jesus. He is the temple. And when it was torn down, he rebuilt it in three days. You see, that temple was measured before Ezekiel. Ezekiel saw the perfect measurements of righteousness, every dimension of it, every wall was square, it's perfect. Show this temple, show Jesus to the people that they may be convicted of their sin. A cannon is also, or a rod is also used for correction. And many of us, when we were growing up in a Christian family, found out about the rod of correction because our, our parents didn't spare the rod so that we wouldn't be spoiled. And so a rod of correction, I will not go any deeper into that, however... One of the things I want you to see in this is I want you to look past just the terms that I'm giving to see what a canon is. What is the canon of Scripture? See, just start looking through that list and you're going to begin to see how the Bible works. This is how a rod is revealed in Scripture and then there's a test for it. But when it passes the test, it becomes a measuring rod for us. It becomes a rod of correction. It is that which brings reproof to our soul and shows us that our behavior is wrong. A shepherd's rod. You see, the two middle one, two and three, could be the same. Because the way a shepherd's rod works is a shepherd holds it, and when the sheep begins to wander, what does he do? He hits that nice fluffy spot on his backside, taps it, and says, no, 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 stay in the center. Stay in the, in the narrow way. Don't wander off into the ditch. It's dangerous over there. There's wolves, bears over here. No, 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 no. Come, little sheep. 
You see, a shepherd's rod is used for correction. So I broke those up, but I wanted you to realize who holds a rod. It's not just a king. It's also a shepherd. And that is an incredible revelation of who Jesus Christ is. He is our shepherd king. And then we have a king's rod of authority, and that's known as a scepter. And yes, uh, it's a very common thing in Scripture, and there is one who holds a scepter, and it's called a rod of iron in Revelation. It is the rod of all rods, and Jesus Christ holds it. So listen to this in 2 Timothy. Now, I just gave you a list of how four rods are used, and technically, it's a description of what the Bible is for. Because then look in 2 Timothy, you're going to see a comparison to that, or a, a link. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for what? For doctrine. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Oh no, little sheepy, over here. Oh no, no, don't wander that way. You see, it's used for the pattern, doctrine, to show you what it's supposed to be measured like. This is what your life is supposed to look like. And then it's to correct you in the pattern. No, no, wall not square. No, no, measurements need to be different. And then what? that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. This is called power. King's authority. Power to execute life. You see, all of these are actually the same exact description of a rod. It's for doctrine, for reproof and correction, for instruction and in righteousness, for being made perfect and thoroughly furnished for all good works. We would typically call that grace. But it's kingly authority at work in this body. God says, could I take the throne? And he sits down with his rod and he exerts his authority in these temples. And as a result, they begin to work as they're supposed to work. This is what a rod does. It's for measuring or for doctrine. It's for correction or for reproof and correction. You see, this is exactly what Paul says in the New Testament. It's for instruction and righteousness. No, no, little sheepy. This is the narrow way. That's the ditch that leads to everlasting destruction. Stay here. And it's for a king's rod of authority, for being made perfect and thoroughly furnished for all good works. So the building of the Bible. So we have five books. The books of Moses. This is the foundation. God has set his seal upon it, and he says, any questions? And he keeps Aaron's rod in that covenant ark as a statement to say, if there ever is any question, I established this book. This book is being written because I said for it to be written. I chose who to write it. I chose how it was written. The words in it are mine. Okay, just in case there's any debate in the future, let's just establish it now. So testing everything against the word of God. We as Christians learn to reason from the word of God. We have to have something that is foundational, something that is the basis. We don't look to our feelings, our emotions. We look to something that is already set. And that is what we would refer to as the word of God or scripture or canon. Now, if you don't have a canon, if you don't have something to reason from, you're going to reason from your experience, your philosophies, your feelings, and you're going to be misled because there is a way that seems right unto a man, but it leads to death. But there is a way that is right unto God, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he leads unto life. So the building of the Bible is based on the same premise. You have five books. You know what is the next book after the first five, after Moses? What follows that canon test? That canon test is established by God. And then what follows? Joshua. The Hebrew would typically say Yeshua. 
In the Greek, you would say Isus. But the Greek language doesn't have a J. Stick a J instead of the I in the front of Isus, and you have Jesus. The book that follows the five is Jesus. Isn't that an amazing thought? You see, God establishes canon. And what does it reveal? What What flows out of it? Yeshua. And so what we see is this concept of how to test and prove that which follows. Every book is measured. Let's say I had a rod up here, and it was of a a very specific measurement, and it was the color blue. I'm just randomly picking a color. It's the color blue. And so then you bring up a rod and say, well, what should I do with this? Is this canon? So I said, well, let's measure it, all right? So we lay it down, and it's an inch short. Say, well, it's pretty close, but no, it doesn't measure. Say, but it's close. Isn't close good enough? Well, it's also red. And you see, God's rod is blue. So I'm not saying that your rod is all wrong. I'm just saying it's not a divine rod. It's not a divine authority. And so the way that everything is measured is in accordance with God's measurement. He starts the measurement and then says it has to match with this. You know that every book of the Bible was added and it is in perfect agreement with that which is before it? Oh, look at this. How do you know it came from the tree of life? So there's a lot of people claiming that they have God's word. But how do we know it's God's word? Oh, that's an important question. You know, there are people out there in Christianity today that are saying that they have a higher authority than God's word. Uh Uh-huh. I know that sounds really bizarre. But there is someone who's saying, yeah, the, the revelation of Scripture is like level one or two. But the revelation that I'm receiving from God is like five or six. So whatever I say actually is greater than the Bible. Whatever that guy says, if it contradicts the Bible, throw it out. The highest authority is God's word. I don't know who this guy is. Actually, I do know his name, but I'm not going to be spouting it out right now. I'm concerned about these people that think that they have a revelation higher than God's. What's the difference between that and Korah, Dathan, and Abiram? So here's how you test a rod. It must prove the same wood grain. Uh, That's oak. It needs to be almond. Well, come on. Does every rod need to be almond? Yes, because it's an almond tree. You see, if it's going to match, it has to match wood grain. Wouldn't that make sense? It must bear the same fruits. That's an orange. What's wrong with an orange? Nothing's wrong with an orange. It's just not an almond. You see, God's tree is an almond tree, and so therefore it better better show almond wood grain, and it needs to bear almonds. It It must measure perfectly with the other branches. They all are in agreement. Every single one of them is the same measurement. So you get the same conclusion out of every single branch. You would not come to a different understanding through this branch. Every single one of them reveals the whole. Every single one of them is showing the same thing, even though they speak with a different personality. Uh, This one aims up to the north. This one aims down to the south. And yet, they both are a part of the same tree, and they're both revealing the same glory. And number four, it must have been publicly sealed. This wasn't a private venture. This wasn't some guy that hatched a book of the Bible in uh, in his closet. This is something that was revealed before all of Israel, and everyone in Israel knows this has the divine seal. Yeah, same wood grain. Mm Mm-hmm, same fruit. Yeah, same measurement. Yeah, we all know it, even though it's indicting us and telling us of our sin. 
It's an amazing thing to look at the Old Testament because what group of people would ever call that the Bible? It makes them look terrible. It literally says, you guys have sinned. There is no hope for you. You're being judged. The only way of salvation is someone has to come and rescue you, you pitiful things. What? Who's going to say, yeah, we're proud of that book? You know, if there's a book lingering around that's talking about all, all the faults of everyone in this room, don't you think we're going to dig a hole and bury it in it? We're not going to say, that's God's word. <clears throat> Unless it is. You see, if it's God's word, the people tremble. You see, those that have stood against this word throughout the ages have a testimony that their forefathers have passed on to them. Uh, ground opens up and swallows you whole. Watch how you treat the word of God. What is the word of God all about? You see, the word of God is saying the same thing all throughout it. Now, a lot of us, especially those of us that are conservatives, we have our pet doctrines. You know, we, we have our various things that we camp out on. We're like, oh, the Bible is all about uh, eschatology. Well, is eschatology in the Bible? Absolutely. But the Bible isn't all about eschatology. That's the study of the end, by the way. And so when someone comes to the Bible only looking for eschatology, guess what? That's all they ever find. But the Bible isn't about eschatology. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus and his work and his labor on our behalf. And so when you, get the, you take one branch and take one little almond of it and say, hey, this is on the tree. Yes, it was. However, that's a part of something bigger. Let's make sure we don't lose the whole. The whole is about something. It's about a Messiah and what this Messiah will do. So you could say to me, so you're saying everything has to do with that? That's exactly what I'm saying. Everything points to our rescue. Everything points to his nature. Everything points to what he has done. Everything. Everything in the Old Testament is building towards it. Everything in the New Testament flows out from it. Everything. The Bible on two legs. Isn't it an amazing thought to think of 39 books that were canon-tested and approved? And the nation of Israel trembles before the words in those books. And the people of Israel would gladly die, suffer, shed their blood to preserve every jot and every tittle in it. And this book then suddenly grows legs and becomes a baby and literally begins to walk in this earth. What would that look like? Well, this is where we get to the person of Jesus Christ, which is critical. You know that the Bible has laid out a test? You know that the Bible talks about the Messiah? I mean, if the whole book's about it, I guess it's going to be talking about him, don't you think? All throughout the Old Testament, it foreshadows and it tells of one who will come. Right in the very beginning of Genesis, when Adam and Eve fail, God gives his first messianic promise. The seed of this woman will crush the head of the serpent. Oh, it's, it's like goes on record. God's word is already established. Guess what? We already know one thing. That Messiah has to be born of the seed of a woman. You follow me? Now, what if you measure him against the canon, the existing canon, and he's not born of the seed of a woman? He's not your Messiah. It's that simple. You see, if any subsequent book of the Bible does not measure, does not prove the same wood grain, does not prove the same fruit, does not prove the same measurement and length, and is not publicly sealed, do not accept it as authoritative. It's a false prophet. What do you do with the false prophet? You stone him. God's word commands it. If it is not authentic, 
You were in ancient Israel meant to put it away. So now we are in a time where we are 2,000 years after one that many have claimed to be the Messiah, the fulfillment of all righteousness, or another way of saying it, the fulfillment of all the promises of Scripture. The test. Now I'm going to set the stage as we progress to say a test was made. The question that you need to decide is, did he pass it? Because if he doesn't pass it perfectly, and I mean with absolute perfection, he's not your Messiah. And you would be free in good conscience before the living God to reject him as such. But if he passes, he has the divine right to rule and control your life. Two options. And the word was made flesh, says the apostle John. It became a body and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's come. The rod is Christ. So when we talk about a rod in the Old Testament, what I'm going to set the, the, the stage for is I'm going to give you the test of the Messiah. Now, I could give, we could spend, literally, this message used to be four hours long. When I originally was given, it was four hours long. And that was the shortened version, by the way. I think this message was one of those 80 pagers, and I'm not exaggerating when I say it, because the entire Old Testament points to Jesus. So how do I trim it down and pass this along in some digestible fashion? So this is not going to be four hours long. Don't worry. But the point is, the rod as prescribed and spoken of in the Old Testament is not just talking about the branch of an almond tree. It's not just talking about Aaron's rod any more than it's talking about manna. It's talking about Jesus, who is like that manna. That manna is like Christ. It is a foreshadow of a high priest who will be lopped off and he will be considered dead. And then overnight, he will blossom and bear almonds before all Israel. The rod is Christ. He is the measuring rod. He is the rod of correction. He is the shepherd's rod. He is the king's rod of authority. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. He's perfect righteousness. He is all wisdom and instruction. He is our good shepherd. This is Christ. It's not just talking about a text of scripture. It's talking about a person. It all points to him. Jesus the branch. If you read through the Bible, you're going to see this interesting name for this character in the Old Testament. It's called the branch. And oftentimes when it's translated, it'll be translated all caps. Capital B, capital R, capital A, capital N, capital C, and capital H. Branch. It's talking about God as a branch. Who's going to term God a branch? What a strange thing. Here's what's amazing. Who created the heavens and the earth? God. Who specifically did, according to Scripture? Jesus. Jesus is actually the one who began this tree. He's the root of the very tree. And guess what? This tree that he sets up that grows before all the nations to declare his glory. Who comes out of the very tree that he planted? God created, and then in his creation, who shows up? Bloop. He comes out of it. He builds the stage. And this great drama is taking place in this stage. Do you see the glory of God? God is making a case. He's showing a test before all the nations. Just like in the book of Job. 
Satan comes and says, your people don't serve you, but for the reason that you supply them whatever they want. If you took it away, you would find that they would curse you. He says, have you considered Job? And the test is set. The stage is set. And this man is thrust out on it. All the heavens are watching. Job's name in the Hebrew means hated and despised. He's from a place called Uts. U-Z. Uts. You know what that means? The place of wood. The hated and despised in the place of wood. Set out on a stage and all the heavens watch. With bated breath as even his wife says, curse God and die. And this man falls down and worships God. And all hell is silenced. This is the testimony. The test has been made. All heaven and hell watch as one lone man, betrayed, abandoned by all that are close, is rejected by the very creation that he has come to save. And before all of a nation, he blossoms. Jesus the branch, the rod of all rods, I am the root and the offspring of David. I am before David, and I come out of David. You figure it out. That's how it works. He starts it, and then he completes it. The builder of the stage is also the leading man in the drama he produced. There's a statement in the New Testament. If I was to describe the Old Testament... I could say the law and the prophets. And that's one of the common ways of saying it. Of course, there's wisdom writings. But one of the simple ways of saying it throughout the ages is the law and the prophets. They testify of one to come, known as the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the one who will be Emmanuel God with us, the one who will be born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, whose goings forth are from of old and from everlasting. And in the New Testament, we have a scene on the Mount of Transfiguration Jesus and three witnesses, Peter, James, and John, and they're all there in this cloud of glories around them. They're really, they can't see quite clearly. You know, it's like very, but they're wide awake when it happens. That's one thing the scriptures make clear. They're wide awake. Who do they see? They see Jesus, transfigured. He's white, gleaming white. Jesus? What? And there's Moses and Elijah. Uh, a little odd, yes. Who is that? That's the law and the prophets. That's the Old Testament. What is the Old Testament doing? God, Moses, and Elijah. And what do they all say? Hear him! That's what they say. The witness of Peter, James, and John is, hear him. He's it. He's it! This is my beloved son, says God in the midst of the booming cloud. Hear him! Uh, what's scripture? The booming voice of God saying, hear him. Deuteronomy 18, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst. Who's talking? This is Moses talking. There's going to be a prophet like Moses that will be raised up in the midst of Israel. From your brethren, him you shall hear. This is the equivalent in the Old Testament of the booming voice of God in the New Testament saying, hear him. When this prophet comes, hear him. Now, who's the one talking? It's the one that has divine authority. It's the one who has been given the canon seal. And he is making it clear as part of the canon that he gives is there is a prophet that will come like me. He won't give the law as you've seen me give the law. He will give the spirit. 
He will give a higher law, a law of the life of God in Christ Jesus. He will give a higher law. Hear him. I will raise up for them a prophet like you. And this is God speaking to Moses and Moses repeating it. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth. Jesus says, the words I speak to you are not my own. And he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, whoever does not hear him, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. The branch, the long-awaited one. And there shall come forth a rod. This is a prophecy. It's speaking of one to come, and he's known as a rod. Have you ever thought of calling Jesus a rod? He's a branch cut off and carved? What? There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. Jesse is David's father, King David's father. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. Hear now, O Joshua, this is the time of the rebuilding of the temple after the Babylonian captivity. Joshua, which is the same name as Jesus, by the way, Yeshua, is a man. He's not Joshua, the one who followed Moses, and he's not Jesus, but he has the same name. And what does he do? He rebuilds the temple of God. He is the high priest of Israel. Now, a high priest and a king are from two different tribes. The kings were of the tribes of Judah, which is David's line, and the high priest is of the order of Aaron and Moses. That's Levi. And so Joshua is a descendant of Moses and Aaron, if you want to say it that way. He's a descendant of Aaron's bloodline. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, Thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. All caps, I didn't capitalize them. And I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. What's associated with this branch? A pretty big move of God. He's going to remove the iniquity of the land of Israel in one day. Zechariah 6, then take silver and gold and make crowns. And set them upon the head of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest. Whoa, 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 whoa. He's a high priest. He's not the king. Why are you making crowns for him? Because the high priest here is merely a symbol. We're talking about a greater high priest. A high priest who is to come, who is known as the branch, who will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. So they have Joshua, the one who rebuilt the temple back in the days of Ezra, sit down and they fashion crowns and set them, crown upon crown upon crown upon his head. Read Revelation 19. And speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man who is the branch. Was this guy the branch? He's just a guy in Israel. Well, he's just, his name is Joshua. His name is Jesus, the high priest. Behold the man whose name is the branch. Well, he wasn't the branch. But the one he represents, he's sitting in that place, showing a symbol, just like manna in a pot is showing that one day there will be bread that will come down from heaven. Behold the man whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Tear down this temple, and I will rebuild it in three days. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory, and he shall sit and rule upon his throne. Hey, you're a high priest. You don't have a throne. This high priest does, and his name is the branch. And he shall be a priest upon his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. Isaiah 4, in that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment 
and by the spirit of burning. You're going to notice one thing about each thing I'm reading about the branch. It's all talking about the cross. It's all talking about the day. The day that is to come when the Messiah will appear. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. In his days, Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is the name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Now what that means is Jehovah Sidkenu, which is he is our righteousness. That's what it means. He is our righteousness. That's his name. Uh Uh-huh, that's pretty accurate, isn't it? Who are we talking about? Who is this branch that will remove the iniquity of the land in one day? Huh, let's think about that. See, to me, this is so utterly obvious and clear. However, we're going to build a greater case. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised unto the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time will I cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. In those days shall Judah be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell safely. And this is the name wherewith she shall be called, the Lord our righteousness. For thus saith the Lord, David shall never want a man to sit upon the throne of the house of Israel. Neither shall the priests of the Levites want a man before me to offer burnt offerings, and to kindle meat offerings, and to do sacrifice continually. All right, guys, I'm setting the stage for what we'll call the Messiah test. We're going to lay out the Old Testament, and we're going to measure Jesus against it. Prepare to be awestruck. We're not talking about Eric's desire to force fit Jesus into this Messiah role. We're saying God is making it clear. You read the scriptures, you will see what I mean. And so that's what we're going to do. Thank you so much for listening to part two of this three-part message by Pastor Eric Ludy, pastor at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns cheering you on as Christ cultivates his set-apart life within you.